Please stand and turn with me in your Bibles to our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Okay. With this New Testament example in mind, this opportunity that was before the people of Corinth to participate sacrificially in the work of the church, let's turn back now to Haggai chapter 1. Consider this Old Testament circumstance that we've been leading up to in the book of Ezra till now. All right, Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Amen. And you may be seated. Many of you already know that I like uh, bluegrass music. It's not for everybody, but I love it. And there's a particular uh, old bluegrass song that I like called I'm a Working on a Building. Some of you may know it. I'm a Working on a Building. I'm a Working on a Building. I'm a Working on a Building. For my Lord. For my Lord. Uh, Those are pretty simple lyrics. There's not a lot of Sophisticated poetry going on there. Get a little more information in the, in the second half of the course. It's a Holy Ghost building. It's a Holy Ghost building. It's a Holy Ghost building for my Lord. For my Lord. And then the verses go on to describe in the same kind of mood. Um, these different kinds of people who need to get on board with the Lord's building project. If I was a liar, I'd tell you what I would do. I'd quit my lying, and I'd work on a building too. And the next one is, you know, if I was a drunkard, if I was a gambler, same thing. I'd, I'd quit that, and I'd work on a building too. And then finally, I like the last verse, if I was a preacher, I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd just keep on preaching, and I'd work on a building too. I'm a working on a building for my Lord. Okay, so simple. Yes, definitely. Profound. Well, let's see. What do you think? I actually think there's a lot of food for thought in this song. And it's worth asking ourselves the question, are, are you working on a building, on the Lord's building? 
Is your life on board with the Lord's great temple building project in this world? Or are you too distracted? Are you too busy? Are you too urgently pulled in some other direction that at the time seems more important, seems more pressing, and yet you can't shake the feeling that all of that effort that you're expending in your life, all of that running around that you're doing, all of that exhausting work that you're putting yourself to, it somehow just isn't accomplishing what it's supposed to or what you hoped that it would do for you. And so often your life feels like you are on a hamster wheel. Or, or, or like you're on this awful treadmill where the faster you run, the farther back you seem to be moving from that goal of happiness that always seems to be just out of reach. And what if that profound, I think, yes, profound simplicity is exactly what you need? You need to quit... You need to quit your misdirected striving in all these other directions and you need to work on a building for your Lord. So let's look at this chapter of Haggai with that in mind with three parts tonight. The first one is going to be called Misplaced Priorities. That's verses 1 through 4. The second one is going to be called Elusive Productivity. Elusive productivity, verses 5 through 11. And then third, the promise of God's presence, verses 12 to 15. So misplaced priorities, elusive productivity, and the promise of God's presence. All right, so first there's these misplaced priorities. Now, we've already met the prophet Haggai, right, last week in a different book. This is why I took that little detour uh, stopped and kind of interrupted the minor prophet's progress to go back to the first six chapters of the book of Ezra, where we've been for the past month or so. You remember how in Ezra there's that handful of exiles from Judah return to the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding area um, after the decree of the Persian king Cyrus. And in that decree, Cyrus explicitly directed them to rebuild the Jerusalem temple. And he also, along with that decree, provided for the materials and the resources that were going to be needed to get that done. And at first, things were going very well. Um, Ezra 3, the people rebuild the altar. They lay the temple foundation. There's great celebration. But then chapter 4, you remember what happens. There's opposition. The um, non-Jews surrounding Jerusalem decide, well, we've got to put a stop to this, and they, they take these various steps to discourage and to intimidate the people to the point that the construction work on the temple grinds to a halt. It just stops completely for at least a decade. At least a decade. Things stayed that way. And as we talked about last time, it got to the point that the reason nobody was building the temple 10 years later was not the same reason that they stopped building the temple 10 years before. Yeah, at first there had been all these threats and all this intimidation. That's what made the people stop. But it's not what kept them from starting up again, right? 
Last time we talked about that idea of, of inertia, how an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless it's acted on by an outside force, right? That's true in the natural world, and it's true just of human nature too, right? Inertia had set in in a big way among these returned exiles until one day, Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. Remember what it said, Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of, Je- uh, of Jozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. What we have just read tonight, Haggai chapter 1, records... That prophecy that Ezra 5 verse 1 is talking about, um, which I think is a pretty, pretty exciting connection to make across the scriptures. Um, this is what the Lord, through Haggai, had to say to the people of Jerusalem to stir them up, to move them out of that settled state of inertia, and to spur them on to do this work that the Lord had called them to do from the very beginning, that they'd been neglecting. So, in the second year of Darius the king, verse 1, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, what do they say? Well, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Okay, so in our house, um, we really like the Frog and Toad series by Arnold Lobel. And in one of these Frog and Toad books, uh, Frog finds Toad in his house lying in bed. And he says, Toad, why are you in bed? And Toad says, well, I'm down in the dumps. I'm down in the dumps because I have all this work to do. And Frog looks around and says, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that and that? All these tasks around his house. And Toad says, well, I'm going to do that tomorrow. But that's why I'm down in the dumps. Because I have all this work to do tomorrow. And Frog convinces him in the story to, well, why don't you just do the work now? And he helps him along to do each of the tasks. And at the end of the story, he's all done. And Toad says, well, I don't feel down in the dumps anymore. It's a great, great story, getting in that issue of procrastination, the way that connects with kids and grown-ups who read it to them. Um, and it's, it really is... Uh, very similar, kind of very simple point that Haggai is making to the people here, pointing out to them the absurdity. Just like Toad lying in bed feeling down in the dumps, it's absurd for them to be putting off this important work that the Lord has given them to do, and their excuses are very thin and hollow. The people of Jerusalem know the Lord wants them to rebuild the temple. Also, they have every legal right to build the temple. And they have at their disposal all of the resources that they need to build the temple. They have no excuse. And what is their response? Well, the time's not right yet. The time's not right yet. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. We're going to do that tomorrow. And no doubt their reasons for that sounded very plausible to them. They had themselves convinced, right? It seemed... Very natural. It seemed very normal to be putting this off. They all kind of had agreed to agree with each other about this. Because, after all, there were so many other demands on their lives, right? I mean, surely the Lord wants us to be doing all these other things to take take care of ourselves and our families and 
and uh, you know, getting life back up to speed here in the in the land. Now that we've returned from exile, there's so much to do, and the Lord sends Haggai to them just to burst that bubble, just to, to pop that balloon. It's like he's saying, just listen to yourselves. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. That's what you're saying. Why? Why not now? Why? What could possibly be more pressing than carrying out the one job? You had one job. What could be more important? That one job you were given upon returning to the land. And you think about this in the context of the history that Israel and Judah have just been through, and it, and it becomes much more critical. Think about what the exile meant, what happened when Judah went into exile. The exile was marked by the destruction of Jerusalem and the removal of that great symbol of God's presence with his people when the temple was destroyed. Okay, The return from exile was supposed to be the reverse of that. It was supposed to reverse that, um, that event. It's supposed to be marked by Israel's covenant communion with God being restored. And where was that going to happen? It was going to happen at the temple. Where had God promised to meet with his people and to share that fellowship with them? It was going to be at the temple. And yet this is the one thing that they're choosing to put off. Time just doesn't seem right yet. We'll get there when we get there and Haggai is inviting them. He is, in, in, in fact, we could say he's inciting them to scrutinize that assumption that they've been making, to question themselves, to question their own propaganda. I think I used that phrase this morning in a different context. It's appropriate here to ask them, why not now? Why not today? What is really holding you back? What could be more important? What are you treating as more important than this most important of all tasks? Well, we get at least part of the answer in the next two verses. A uh, very unflattering answer, if, if God's people are willing to be honest with themselves here. Um, so Haggai goes on, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? while this house lies in ruins. And see what, you see what the people have been doing for these past 10 plus years. It's not that they've been doing nothing. They've been working on a building, but for themselves, right? They've been getting their own houses set up. Paneled houses, in fact. And that likely means, there's some debate about exact meaning of that phrase, but it likely means basically they've taken the time to make their houses really nice. They have really nice houses now to the neglect of this other work that they haven't been doing, of the Lord's house. Um, now, of course, the people needed places to live. And pointing out these are, these are paneled houses that they're living in now, it's, it's, it's making the point. The Lord is not calling them here to go without shelter. You know, you just got to go live out in the open, sleep under the stars until the temple gets built. No, it's, it's not the Lord's calling them to neglect the necessities of life for themselves, for their wives and kids and so on. Um, and maybe those are the kinds of that's the kind of reason they use is used when things started out. Probably that's how they framed the situation in their own minds. We're just trying to take care of our families, right? But Haggai is saying, we're way past that now. 
That excuse ran out a long time ago. Now you're just making excuses. And frankly, you're prioritizing. Here's the thing. They are prioritizing personal comfort and convenience over obedience. They are prioritizing personal comfort and convenience over obedience. That leads directly into the great irony, the great paradox that this chapter introduces into the mix. See, the more these people prioritize their personal comfort and convenience over obedience, what happens? They're actually becoming less comfortable. The more they prioritize wealth over worship, the more it seems that they're actually struggling to make ends meet. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, I love this word picture, he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. It's like trying to fill up a bathtub without plugging the drain. It's been running for 10 minutes. Why isn't it filling up? Oh, it's because I forgot to plug the drain. The water's running out as fast as it comes in. Once I had a pair of suit pants that had a hole in the right pocket. And I would put things into it. And all of a sudden, I'd feel them around my ankle because they'd gone right through. Just imagine if I had tried to put, put my coins in there, put my money in, it would fall on right out. And in fact, it would be gone as fast as I could put it in. Lord says, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. And therefore... Again, he's kind of just piling on these images, making the same point. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. So it's having this agricultural impact. The land is not being fruitful. It's not giving them uh, crops like they would desire. And I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Now, I want you to notice that there's more going on here than just these people facing the natural consequences of unwise living. We talked about this difference this morning, right? We talked about how when we talk about wisdom and foolishness, there's a natural connection between foolish actions and bad consequences that just happen as a natural result of making bad choices. But there's more than that in Romans 1 this morning. There's the wrath of God being revealed in that downward spiral we looked at, right? Well, similarly here, Haggai's not merely talking about a natural chain reaction. You've made these bad choices and it's having a bad impact in your life. I mean, we could go there. We could talk about how there is a natural kind of common sense connection where selfishness actually leads to less happiness, where pursuing wealth and pleasure as your ultimate goals ends up leading to a kind of miserable life. That is true. And Christians aren't the only ones who know that. Uh, It's just the experience of life. It's what any wise person will tell you. But that's actually not what Haggai is describing here. 
It's not what the prophet is getting at. What you should notice, as we noticed in Romans 1 this morning, is how active the Lord is here. It is the Lord himself who is frustrating the Israelites' efforts to get more comfortable and to have their own convenience taken care of. It's the Lord who is bringing this drought on the land. And when the wealth comes in, it is the Lord who is blowing it away so that it's gone. Again, these are not just natural consequences. These are covenant consequences. This is the language of covenant curse, in fact, which if you're a person from Judah who has just been through the exile and you're realizing the Lord is speaking to you in terms of covenant curse, that should send a chill through every bone in your body. We cannot go back to covenant curse again. Israel here, Judah, is laboring under the frown of their covenant God. They are receiving his discipline, his chastisement. We don't want to misunderstand this, the Lord's intent in doing these things. Because in blowing away their wealth and keeping their crops from thriving, don't think that the Lord is being somehow mean to them or something. Even, or even that he is um, offering them pure wrath in response to their sin. What's happening here is the Lord actually has a very gracious purpose in what he's doing. Very gracious purpose. It's like a parent telling their child, no, you can't have that candy because it will spoil your, your supper. No, you cannot have what you want. I'm not going to let you have what you've got your attention kind of fixated on. Why? Because that is precisely what is keeping you from something so much better that I'm trying to give you instead. I'm trying to help you learn to prioritize instead. Remember again from this morning that one of the Lord's ultimate acts of judgment, the way that his wrath is revealed from heaven in Romans chapter 1, is by doing what? By handing people over to their desires. By giving them what they want. And thanks be to God that he was not giving the people of Jerusalem what they wanted. He was not letting them have that personal comfort and convenience that they so craved. Instead, he says no to them. He has the mercy, he has the grace to say no to them. He's going to do whatever it takes to shake them out of that ease and comfort, even if it means taking that ease and comfort away. Think about Hebrews 12, 11, when it says, For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, second half of the verse, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Trained by it. Um, Sometimes parents are frankly afraid to say no to their children because they don't want conflict. They don't want to upset their kids. They don't want their kids to be mad, maybe, or to act up in response. And so the kids always end up getting exactly what they want. Except that they don't, right? The kids, because children who have that kind of experience growing up are often deeply, deeply unhappy. Isn't it a mercy 
beloved, that the Lord is not afraid to say no to us. That's hard to admit that that's a mercy, especially when you're in the middle of it, when you're being said no to. We want to see here, off, kind of off the spot, seeing it in someone else's life, in the life of Judah. Yes, this is a mercy of God. He is saying no to them. That he's withholding, when he withholds from us those things that we desire, even when he takes away from us things that we treasure, so that our hearts, like children's hearts, be able to grow, be able to mature so that we would learn to desire something else. Learn to desire what he wants to give to us. That's so much better than what we were longing for. In this case, it's the temple and all that the temple represents, right? That place of communion and fellowship with God. That's what the temple stands for. It's about meeting with God, worshiping and being face to face in his presence as the people of God, so that he would dwell among them. What higher goal could an Israelite have? It's what made Israel Israel, to have the Lord dwelling among them. That's why building of the temple is so important. And so the Lord says, here's the action point. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills, bring wood, Build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And you can see the powerful impact that this prophetic message has, first on the leaders and then on the whole community under their leadership. You have uh, Zerubbabel representing um, the kingly line. Remember, he's a descendant of David, an ancestor of the Lord Jesus. And then you have Joshua, the high priest. And by the way, if you add to Zerubbabel from the kingly line... Joshua the high priest, and then, of course, the prophecy is by Haggai the prophet. You have this wonderful example here, don't you, among the leaders of Israel at this pivotal moment of that, that triad of prophet, priest, and king. Those, those three Old Testament leadership offices that also happen to be the three great offices of the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. And here they are, united, working together in harmony to lead the people towards obedience to see to the construction of this place for God to dwell with them. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But for now, I want to take special notice of the follow-up prophecy that comes after the people start obeying. Okay? So they hear the prophecy, they respond with obedience, and um, you, you might kind of expect, I don't know what this says about me that I might expect this, but that after the people finally start building the temple, that the prophet would say something really snarky to them, like, Finally, what took you so long, that kind of thing. Glad you finally decided to show up. But the Lord does not respond that way to his people. I want you to see how reassuring, how comforting and encouraging his message is to these people as as they take up the work. Um, That is no doubt um, very laborious for them, very challenging, uh, very time-consuming, very expensive. On top of that, there's still in the background that, that distinct disapproval of their neighbors and, and the threat of further interference to come. And so what does the Lord say? Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you. That's the message he has for them. I am with you, declares the Lord. It's the 
promise of God's presence sent to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them to persevere, to carry on. See, the Lord here is not a harsh taskmaster, ma- taskmaster giving his people this kind of onerous job and then just telling them to suck it up and deal with it. It's, it's a lot more like a parent who tells their toddler to clean up their toys, knowing that the toddler is still working on that skill, and then gets down there on the floor with them. See that job through together. I am with you. I am with you. That is the promise of God's presence. And it's not just the promise for Israel back then. It is the promise for us as the people of God in the present day, as we are indeed working on a building for our Lord with our Lord, as our Lord is with us. Because don't forget what this temple was looking forward to, right? What it was all about. What was this temple all about? It was about this temple. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about this room. I'm talking about the construction of the church, of the kingdom of God on earth, out of living stones, out of the people of God so that we might be a holy dwelling for the Lord by the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, our King, our Priest, our Prophet, right? Our Zerubbabel, our Joshua, our Haggai. Well, he's actually the master builder, right? That's the Lord Jesus. He's the one who is ultimately working on this building It's his power that's going to get it done. It's his blood that bought us living stones. It's his power that's making the church grow. It's according to his plan that all the pieces are fitting together the way they're supposed to. But isn't it an amazing privilege and duty that he has invited us, commanded us to be part of that work, that he has called us together, even in this local church, to labor together, in his kingdom. To be part of the way that he has planned to answer that prayer that he taught us, your kingdom come. He says, pray this way and look how I'm going to answer it. I'm going to answer it in part with you working together by my grace and power to build this kingdom of God. And in the process... The Lord Jesus himself, you remember, warned us. The same great paradox that faced the people of Israel in their day faces us today as well. You remember those striking statements the Lord made? For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Things that make you stop and think. What can he mean by that? Remember when Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows that you need all those things for everyday life that you're always worrying about. But here's what you're to do. You are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you're to trust that when you do that, that all those other things will be added to you. Or as we read earlier from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, remember how he said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
And so with all that in mind, the call of Haggai to Judah in this moment is very poignant for us tonight, I think. That call to consider your ways. Consider your ways. That's what we're all to do tonight as we think about this chapter. Literally, it's set your heart on your ways. Give, give close attention, other translations say. Give close attention to the way you're conducting your life, the way that you have set your priorities. And I want to make this clear, not based on what you say is important to you, but on what you're actually doing. Where are you actually, if you measured it, if you wrote it down, where are you actually devoting your time, your energy, your resources, your life, which you only have so much of, yourself, which you only have so much of, that the Lord has given to you? What is actually at the center of your life, the center of it? What is influencing, what's directing, determining the biggest choices that you make? What is that governing consideration that trumps all the others when it comes to making life's biggest decisions for you. You need to consider, you need to set your heart on this. Give close attention to this. You need to be brutally honest with yourself and with each other. Is it working on the Lord's building that holds that place in your life? Or is, or is the church more kind of an accessory to your life? Is it something you can kind of take or leave? You kind of dip your foot in and out of something on the margins of your life that you add on to for further enrichment? Or is it maybe something that you're putting off for later? That you're thinking, I'll take care of these other things that feel more pressing first this time in my life, and then I'll, I'll spare later that time and attention for, for God's kingdom with whatever is left over. These are the questions the prophet is urging us to ask ourselves. Consider your ways. Where is the kingdom of God? Where is the Lord's temple building work on earth? In your circle of priorities. Your hierarchy of values as a person, as a family. Where is it for us as a church? And some of the choices that you end up facing in consequence of asking those questions honestly in your life may not be easy choices. I want you to remember that along with that admonition from the prophet, along with those hard questions, maybe they're hard answers, comes this wonderful promise of the Lord. I am with you. That's so important here to, to remember that the Lord is not calling you to go, just, just go do better. Go try harder in your own strength. Go build my building for me. No, it's the Lord Jesus. Remember, we talked about this earlier. It's the Lord Jesus who's your prophet, who's your priest, who's your king. And he's the one who's giving you all the resources. He's the one who's already done the most important part of the work for us. It is his work, after all. We're simply entering into it by his grace. And listen, I know. I know there are so many things vying for your attention so many callings, so many duties that the Lord has given you to be responsible for. But I want us never to forget that real flourishing for a Christian comes when we can truly say, as my first priority above all else by the grace of God, I am working on a building for my Lord. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the prophet Haggai, for his unique contribution to the word of God by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would help us to take his message to heart tonight, to consider our ways, wisely to reflect on our priorities, ways that we have ordered our, our, our lives, way our real values are reflected in our actions and choices. And, and compare that with our Lord's command to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then to trust you that the other things that we're so concerned about will be added to us by your grace. Lord, we do trust you and we ask you to help us to trust you more. And we thank you for this privilege of being living stones in your temple building that the Lord Jesus is building for us. Lord, give us the courage, the determination, perseverance to stay engaged with that part of the work that he's entrusted to us. We ask this in his name. Amen.